This is Line Dance Podcast. I'm Christopher Gonzalez. Hello and welcome to Line Dance Podcast on Move Radio with Megan Varsilia and Christopher Gonzalez. Today we are going to jumpstart your thinking, my thinking, our thinking with the book by John C. Maxwell, Jumpstart Your Thinking, which is a 90-day improvement plan as described on the cover. We've gotten through 55 of these so far, and we are about to start today with 56. But first, how's your day going, Megan? It's uh, going really well. I had a brunch with some dance friends and got to talk a lot about line dance to then come here and talk more about line dance. Hooray! Day 56. Big thinkers are specialists in creating positive, forward-looking, optimistic pictures in their own minds and in the minds of others. David J. Schwartz. If your thinking runs toward pessimism, let me ask you a question. How many highly successful people do you know who are continually negative? None, I bet. Here are five more benefits from learning the skill of possibility thinking. Increases others' possibilities. That happens in part because possibility thinking is contagious. You can't help but become more confident and think bigger when you're around possibility thinkers. Allows you to dream big dreams. No matter what your profession, and because you believe in possibilities, you put yourself in position to achieve them. Makes it possible to rise above average. Every time you remove the label of impossible from a task, you raise your potential from average to off the charts. Gives you energy. Because you invest yourself in what you believe can succeed. Keeps you from giving up. Because if you believe you will succeed, you have already won much of the battle. Continuing with yesterday's thought, what do you really want to do now? What is your dream? If you didn't fear failure or being laughed at, what would you start doing today? Write that down. Okay, that's a little tough. Um, Only because been so long since we've actually jumped into this book um let's see i do know that i have certainly noticed an increase in just my happiness in general when i start looking at things as possibilities as opposed to things that well that's not going to happen kind of situations um I take more risks, which then allows me more rewards. Uh, putting myself out there, I, you know, I'll ask people for input on dances, or I'll ask people if they want to work with me on dances. And it's one of those situations where the most current person I approached with a potential track, I looked at it like, well. Worst case scenario, they say no to this track. That doesn't mean that they're never going to work with me in the future. Best case scenario, they love this track and they want to work with me. And sure enough, they loved the track and they're they're wanting to work. So 
we're now working together on a new track. Had I not taken that chance as a possibility that they would say yes and I let fear speak, I would never have asked, which means I wouldn't be working on the track with them. So that's really cool in the sense that it's a, well, now or never. You better just ask because you're going to wonder what if, if you don't. And I would much rather know than wonder what if, if that makes any sense at all. Um, I do know that fear of failure and fear of being laughed at and fear of being not accepted is a huge thing for a lot of people, myself included. Um, but I try and find little ways every day to push those boundaries for myself of what I would find comfortable. Uh, for instance, perfect example was getting into teaching. I was very much, well, what do I know about teaching? What, what do I know about dancing? What do I know? Why would anybody want to learn from me? And what if I don't do a good job? Well, of course, there's going to be those teaches that are really rough. Um, but as you get more experience in teaching, even just one dance, and if it's the same dance, um, you eventually find the flow of that teach for that specific dance, and then it becomes a really good teach. Um, the more you practice teaching, the better you're going to get off the bat. Another thing would be uh, this solo line dance competition. Um, definitely nerve-wracking, certainly out of my comfort zone. And here I am getting ready for this weekend's first competition. So um, very excited about it, um, wondering how things are going to play out, what I'm going to learn from it. But if I was afraid that I was going to fail and afraid that I was going to completely botch the dance or whatever and I let that rule, I would never get out there and try in the first place, which means I'll never be able to grow. Um, I would rather fail big and learn from it than not try at all. I think most people who've heard my voice on this show know that I don't have a major problem with possibility thinking for the most part. However, when it gets into that uh, zone of fearing failure and being laughed at, uh, I would say working on uh, little bits of technique or um, styles that aren't historically what people would associate with your own. Because um, I can, I mean, depending on the song and depending how much like sleep and food I've had, I can definitely do the jumping around thing if uh, if that's what I'm feeling for that particular track. Uh, however, for dances that I've been learning and playing back over and over for the last several days uh, that are you know more on like the elegant, slow, pretty side, just something as simple as keeping your balance. <coughs> which um, you don't have to do when you're jumping around. You can just kind of fake it. Um, something as simple as keeping your balance can be difficult. 
And then you're just doing like a one and a quarter turn. Like what should be so difficult about that? And then you look like you're stumbling around drunk or like, oh no, well there was gum on the floor. So that's why, that's why I look terrible doing this. You know, there are all these other reasons, not like I'm trying at something and failing. Uh, you know, that, that, uh, that's the kind of thing that I'm very grateful I can work on without anyone around to see it. <laughs> uh, because there are some of these dances that I really want to do and feel as confident in doing um, as, as one of the hoppy bouncy ones that, you know, you can fake. Um, or just, you know, do with reckless abandon. Some of these dances, you kind of have to earn your reckless abandon. Like, there are some dances you may see videos of Rachel doing that um, she'll do very cleanly, especially if people are following her for the first few walls. And then the music starts to build, and she starts playing with it, but she always knows where to come back to the beat if she wants to, and she knows how to recompose herself like the drop of a hat. Um, whereas if you are going straight into all the styling and everything and you don't have the ability to control yourself the way somebody like her, uh, somebody like she would, uh, then yeah, you're going to you know get all stylized and whatever, but then you're also going to get lost. And then when you try to come back, everyone else is doing the dance and you're like, oh shoot, like looking at your shoes. So... I I definitely would like to have more options in dances that I am able to really immerse myself in, but I want to retain that ability to control uh, where I do that and when I come back from that into just pure vanilla technique. And that's not something that I am great at now, but I do think it's possible to develop it. So I have been doing that um, on my own. And that's where possibility thinking uh, lets you at least start um, down the path that you want to be on, even if you know you're not going to you know, get where you want for a little while. At least it's out there somewhere, which has actually been one of my stumbling blocks with things like programming is I think I have a trouble uh, letting myself be a beginner at things like that. Like I feel like I I'm I'm as old as I am right now. I should have I should have been really good at all that stuff already as of five years ago and I, I could be down on the peninsula getting some Silicon Valley startup job, whatever. But with that, um the idea that I mean I'm still at a stage with that where if I were to get hired to do anything like programming or whatever, then it would feel like I was faking it and I'd never catch up to all my other tech peers. So I don't think I have enough possibility thinking there to get past the beginner stage. With dance, I have been doing this long enough that I think just about anything's possible in dance and space. Okie dokie. <clears throat> Day 57. I have learned to use the word impossible with the greatest of caution. Werner von Braun People with an it-can't-be-done mindset have two choices. They can expect the worst and continually experience it, or they can change their thinking. 
To put possibility thinking to work for you, follow the suggestions I make over the next three days. So like the next 15 minutes for us. Stop focusing on the impossibilities. When you automatically start listing all the things that can go wrong or all the reasons something can't be done, stop yourself and say, Don't go there. Yes, at some point you will want to look at ideas realistically, but that's not where you should start. Instead, ask, What's right about this? That will help to get the ball rolling toward possibility thinking. Stay away from the, quote, experts who often shoot down other people's dreams. Consider that in 1943, Thomas Watson, chairman of IBM, said, I think there is a world market for about five computers. Instead, heed the words of John Andrew Holmes, who asserted, Never tell a young person that something cannot be done. God may have been waiting centuries for somebody ignorant enough of the impossible to do that thing. Continuing with yesterday's thought about what your dream is today, think about what's right with your idea. Write down your thoughts. I would also like to note um, that with them saying that anything's possible and you, know, you have to believe it, this, I think, really applies to things that are within your control. If you're saying, oh, well, that person is amazing, but you know they're married and live in Africa... And I am going to woo them over the internet and they're going to drop everything and you know we're going to have a great life. Also, I'm going to win $5 million and we're going to live up in the hills somewhere. Like A lot of that is not really in your control. <laughs> you, can, you can say, well, it's possible for me to become the kind of person that they might want to be with, but you, know, you can't control something that's beyond yourself in that way and you'll just set yourself up for disappointment so impossibilities i think should be applied toward the self because um, some things like you know meeting einstein or or hanging out with da vinci for an afternoon you know those aren't going to happen unless you develop time travel and it's just not you have to be okay with that not happening some things really just are are beyond you and then experts. I don't know. What do I know about time travel? Maybe you can do it. Here you go, Megan. <laughs> well, I always said my X-Men superpower would be teleportation. So, you know, one of these days, it'll happen. Um, I think one of the biggest things that I like to use as an excuse is I don't know any better. And I use this as a, as a positive excuse. I don't know any better so I don't know that you shouldn't ask to choreograph with someone I don't know any better so you shouldn't invite a well-known superstar amazing person choreographer to dinner with you I don't know any better because I haven't been around long enough to get sucked into a, well, this is how you're supposed to behave and this is how you're supposed to look at a person. I've always been the type of person that just kind of follows whatever whim they seem to have. And a lot of times it's the idea that I want to go to dinner with this person because I want to know more about them. So I'm going to offer to go to dinner with them. See if they have plans. And it doesn't occur to me 
to be scared that they might say no. I just look at it as like, oh, if they already have dinner plans, then great. They get to go hang out with somebody else. That's awesome. Good for them. You know, it's like maybe next time. Um, But maybe this time for me, you know, it's like there's never, I don't know what their answer is going to be until I ask. So I don't know any better. I don't know any worse. So I just kind of ask and I just kind of go for what seems amusing to me and what seems intriguing for me and what might pique my interest further. Um, I very much like to surround myself with people who have that same kind of mindset in the idea of, yeah, technically, right now, line dance in space not necessarily in the achievable immediate future but that doesn't mean that in a year from now it wouldn't work or two years from now or 10 years from now so what if we started talking about it now you know certain things like that I like people who challenge my thinking of what is possible because I'm very much a dreamer And I will openly admit that. And I'm very fortunate that from a very young age, my mother always cultivated that within me. She always encouraged me to try it. Try and fail, learn, fail better, get better. You know, just keep trying, keep going for it because you never know what's possible until you've tried it. And I'm also one of those very stubborn individuals that will continue to try over and over again and try and figure out how to beat the failure and how to get around it and how to come up so that either A, I really drive in the lesson really, really hard so that I have figured out every possible way not to do something Or I finally figure out how to do something. And I think that is probably one of the best ways you could take a look on life is the idea that it's not that you failed and so you can't try again, but that now you have to learn how not to do it that way again. So you have to try something different. And it, it expands your thinking. It makes you realize that you have the answers within yourself to figure out what to do, how to do it, as well as the people you surround yourself with have great insight because they're not directly in the midst of it so they have an outside perspective as well as I think you find out more about yourself and that we're the people who put limitations on ourselves because either A, we're told something's not possible or B, we've grown up scared to try to follow whatever that dream is. And yes, there is 
pros and cons to following whatever your passion may be. It's a lot of struggle and a lot of people will tell you you're wrong for doing it. But if it's truly your passion and if it truly interests you, you'll figure out a way how to do it. And that possibility thinking is what's going to get you there. I like this next one a lot. Day 58. Make your plans as fantastic as you like, because 25 years from now, they will seem mediocre. Make your plans 10 times as great as you first planned, and 25 years from now, you will wonder why you did not make them 50 times as great. Henry Curtis. Two of the best ways to cultivate a possibility mindset are found in the following suggestions. Look for possibilities in every situation. Don't just refuse to let yourself be negative. Look for positive possibilities despite the circumstances. Every situation can be seen as potentially better than it is at present. Possibility thinking is possible even in negative situations. Sam Walton was a master of gathering positive possibilities from the worst of competitor stores and implementing them into Walmart. All it takes to find the possibility in every situation is the right attitude, and anybody can cultivate that. Dream one size bigger. Most people dream too small. They don't think big enough. People need BHAGs, big, hairy, audacious goals, as the authors of Built to Last maintain. If you push yourself to dream more expansively, to make your goals at least a step beyond what makes you comfortable, you will be forced to grow and it will set you up to believe in greater possibilities. Take a present situation that you are dealing with and write down the possibilities it affords. Then, dream one size bigger. What would that look like? I definitely see places in, say, undergrad, or even when I went back to school at SSU, where... I was, you know, hesitant about doing one thing or another or talking to this girl in some fashion and now now that it's like how many years later and that kind of thing wouldn't phase me anymore. I know that, you know, I acted however was most appropriate for me at that time, but I know present me would act differently because like what really would the consequences have been? <laughs> So I can I can kind of uh, see where they're going on that one. Also, it reminded me of what you were saying with uh, line dance and space, you know, maybe not this year, but why not two years from now? Why not 10 years from now? Uh, I might have mentioned last week, I've been watching a lot and staying updated on things that are happening with AI and biotech, machine learning, um, space, space travel, private space industry. And there's just so much going on, it's hard to believe that it's really happening somewhere in the world. Like, if I could talk to my grandma about this kind of stuff, because I'm sure she doesn't stay up to date on it. She kind of just does her, her own thing. Uh, but, like, I kind of I wonder what her, her reactions would be, like, to know that she is alive during all of this happening. So it uh, it definitely makes me think that crazy, ridiculous stuff is possible within my lifetime when I think about the kinds of things my grandma has lived through and even my parents. Like the things that they've seen change from the 50s until now. 
I have no idea what, what things are going to look like when I'm 90, but line dance is going to be very interesting. Um, that just kind of makes me think of specifically like some of the, since you brought up technology, technological advances that have occurred over my lifetime alone um, from, you know, like what was the first in-home computer and floppy disks into, you know, the hard disks into CDs, into flash drives, into, you know, you had um, the brick cell phones and you had pagers and then you had up-to-date pagers and then you had even smaller cell phones and then all of a sudden now you have smartphones and now we have smart watches where I mean I have a watch on my wrist that allows me to make phone calls and track my eating habits and how much exercise and it reminds me when I've sat too long that I need to get up and at least move around and stretch and you know you look at just those advances alone you look at um you know, printers used to have to have those awful ginormous cables and then they went to regular cables that we consider today. And now they're all wireless and Bluetooth and you can print from your cell phone. And I mean, when you look at that over 30 years and it's only 30 years, I mean, like, yeah, that's my lifetime so far. But in the grand scheme of things, it's really not that much. I mean, if you look at how much a line dance has changed over the last 20 years, over the last 10 years, even the last three years, how, you know, it went from what, you know, like the stereotypical country, you know, you know, thumbs in your belt buckles or your belt loop or whatever. And now we're having, you know, sections with tutting and, towels or we're doing waltzes as line dances and you know like you have all of this knowledge now that it's come so far and it used to be you know 32 counts across the board you went off phrase and you just kind of dealt with it now we have phrase dances you know it's it really is whatever your mind will set as a possibility somebody somewhere can find a way. So why not you? Um, I definitely understand the idea of hindsight affording you more clarity. And I would much, again, much rather learn from a mistake and figure out that that is not the way to do something, then regret not trying in the first place. I don't want to look back on my life and have regrets. And the biggest regret I can say I would have would be not trying something just because I thought it might not work. I would much rather try and figure out that it didn't, in fact, work then question whether or not I could have. So I think, I think it is important to, to look at the bigger picture of possibilities and the, um, you know, for instance, I like this track to, well, what if I choreographed to this track? 
well, what if I pitched this track to someone else who has a lot more experience than me? Um, or what if I, oh, I like the look of that dance. What if I tried that dance? What if I actually danced that dance? What it would look like and what would it feel like? Um, those kind of situations where pushing yourself, I think, is what's the biggest outcome and the biggest thing that you're going to find here with the possibility thinking is just really pushing your limits of comfortability to the next level and you're going to find that you have a new level of comfortability. One of the things that I think about in terms of crazy things that exist that we just consider normal now because we're very good we're very good at just immediately making things into oh yeah well that's just how it is snapchat filters how does my phone know where my face is and that i'm turning my head and like it's so easy to look at and be like oh look it's the dog is sticking out his tongue but like that shouldn't be possible (laughs) like the things that it's able to do so immediately are like oh yeah magic uh that reminds me uh so i'm pulling up my phone right now show me pictures of the beast there you go pictures of the beast yeah okay so we now have the magic mirror from beauty and the beast which is fiction (laughs) like i can do that i can just say that and it knows what i mean it knows what beast i'm talking about like We have only even had smartphones with screens like this. Like if you're just using, you know, basing it off the iPhone for 10 years, like iPhone came out in, I think, 2008. And we have things like Pokemon Go that, again, shouldn't really be possible just from like, uh, you know, if you looked at it from 11 years ago, could this be done perspective? But with all the GPS infrastructure we have, uh, all the companies that are able to send up more satellites and make that information more accurate, uh, the processing speed and graphics capabilities of phones, making the game look fun. Uh, Even just when you think about how there are probably like little folk characters of animals and trolls and whatever in Scandinavian countries that never went beyond their area because they were very culturally specific. But we now live in a time where something that was popular in Japan can get brought over to the United States and then spread everywhere in the world. And now everybody knows who Pikachu is like that wouldn't have been possible a hundred years ago. Like you would send a postcard of Pikachu to like your, your one friend who lives somewhere else and then they wouldn't show it to anyone. And then it doesn't become a craze, but like all of these things are happening and have happened to the point where something like Pokemon go is possible. I don't, I don't play it. I just think that's really interesting that you can do that kind of thing. So then with like facial recognition technology, it makes me wonder how long before people can recognize what you're doing with your body. So let's say, you know, as a very basic example, you develop um, a translation system for ASL uh, 
to speech so that somebody just like we have, you know, translation services that say like translate this English sentence, you know, say translate good morning into French and then your phone will spit out the French words for good morning. If you took video of somebody doing ASL stuff and then your phone could recognize what's going on and then tell you here's what is, you know, he, yeah, here's what here here's what's being expressed. Then once that barrier is broken, how long before somebody can point their camera at a line dance and five seconds later, you know, after you have enough patterns come out of it, it's like, okay, well, you know, even though grapevine right, grapevine left with a turn is in a bunch of dances, now these other steps are happening, so it can only be this dance. So here's the step sheet and here's the choreographer here are some video tutorials. You could do all that in theory, just based on technology we have now, but applied toward a different part of the body. Now it's not the face anymore. Now it's, you know, legs and arms. And who's to say, just because, you know, nobody has done it yet. Who's to say that that won't happen within the next 10 years. You just have somebody with the will to do that. And like, just think of like what magic that would seem like. And two examples that already exist in the line dance world that, you know, wouldn't have been around a while back projector screens that show you what's going on in the next room over. And then beyond that, uh, apps that tell you what's going on inside the building. You could step out and still watch the playlist go through song by song and have it all be sent to your phone at your convenience. And now it's like, oh, well, yeah, of course, that you know, somebody would make an app like that. That's pretty basic. Blah, 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 blah. You could very easy. To blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but somebody actually did it. So, like, all it takes for some of these crazy line dance ideas to happen is for somebody to actually do it. Like, theoretically, so much of this stuff is possible. Or at least that's where possibility thinking has gotten me to believe. Day 59. Some men see things as they are and say, Why? I dream of things that never were and say, Well, since you already said it. <laughs> I said, why not? Yes. Why not take a crazy chance? Why not do a crazy dance? <laughs> George Bernard Shaw. <coughs> courtesy of the Disney Channel. Here are two more ways to cultivate a possibility mindset. Question the status quo. Most people want their lives to keep improving, yet they value peace and stability at the same time. People often forget that you can't improve and still stay the same. Growth means change. Change requires challenging the status quo. If you want greater possibilities, you can't settle for what you have now. As you begin to explore greater possibilities for yourself, your organization, or your family, and others challenge you for it, take comfort in knowing that achievers refuse to accept the status quo. Find inspiration by studying the lives of great achievers. Look for people with the attitude of George Lucas, whom I used as an example of a possibility thinker. I know possibility thinking isn't in style with some people, so call it what you like. The will to succeed. Belief in yourself, confidence in your ability, faith. It's really true. People who believe they can't, don't. But if you believe you can, you can. That's the power of possibility thinking. 
This week, read a biography of someone you admire. Make notes concerning how that person harnessed the energy of possibility thinking. Then write three to five principles or practices from that person's life you can apply to your own. I like this one. Uh, the idea of reading a biography of someone. Because um, I think there is a lot of wisdom in looking to those that you admire and ask yourself, one, why you admire them and what is it about them that you admire. Um, but two, they found a path that worked for them and it helps inspire at least me specifically um, to try and find a path for myself. And I think it's it's good to know why you admire someone. Um, perfect example for me is Joe. Shocker. I should bring her up again. She's a perfect example for everyone. <laughs> um, and some of the things that I admire about her is just her overwhelming warmth and kindness towards everyone. Um, the way she always seems to be looking for the positive. Uh, there's a lot of things in which, um, you know, you could very easily place blame somewhere, but she always seems to find like how she can make something better or just kind of laugh something off that, you know, some people could get very, very upset about. And she seems just so happy to me. And obviously, being human, I want to be happy. And so I look at some of the things, like I said, that I admire about her and figure out how to make that happen for myself and remind myself you know, to try and look more positively on things and to know that, yes, everyone has their dark thoughts. Everyone has their dark days. They have their dark moments. It happens. We're human. That's how you know what the good and the positive look like is by looking at the dark and the negative. But you can't live there. And realistically, you really shouldn't even visit there a whole lot. <laughs> but sometimes it's unavoidable. But to remember that it is your choice on how you choose to react to something. And if you let that negative thought overpower you or if you look for the positive is one of the things that I have certainly gotten better at over the last several years. And to know that when you start thinking positively and you start thinking of possibilities and you start thinking of what you really truly want in life and you start taking the steps to achieve those, the universe will start helping you. And it might not always come in the form that you originally want it to, but it does come. Um, I've had a lot of growth since October. Let's put it that way. A lot of things that could have brought me to stopping pursuing what I wanted 
had I looked at them negatively. However, had I looked at it as the universe was releasing me from this responsibility so that I can take on this other responsibility, or they were freeing me up from this opportunity that wasn't going to get me where I wanted to provide me with this opportunity, um, I've really started to con- to focus on the idea that I'm where I'm supposed to be following the path I'm supposed to be on. I just have to keep making the hard choices to look at things as though they're getting me ready for what's next as opposed to they're trying to stop me. Want to give context for what October was? Well, most people at this point, I'm assuming, understand that October was the start of everything going crazy in my life with the fires here in Sonoma County. Um, Side note, little update. um, Most of the permits, I think, have gone through, so we've started building the foundation. So there, there, there is progress. There is a house in the works. So yay. But um, there's a lot of things that good, amazing things that came from that horrible experience. And that was, like I was saying, it was freeing me up from certain responsibilities so I can focus on other things. And so I can learn other things and I can figure out where I wanted to go. It really forced me into a, well, you have to make a decision on what you're going to do next as opposed to just toying with the ideas. Um, So I think when it comes to the idea of possibilities and really focusing on what you want and what you're going to do, uh, it's... It's an important step, and if you're looking at someone who you admire and how they overcame their difficulties in life or their struggles and what they did, it helps to inspire the choice that it's possible for you. Um, The important thing is to remember you don't copy them but find your own way of implementing it. Yeah, I think it's important that they mention the principles because (laughs) principles can be applied in any context. Uh, So something that worked in Rome for Marcus Aurelius can work for you as well if it has to do with human nature and eternal unchanging uh, patterns of how to be in the world. And whenever I find those, I, I, I try to make a note of them. I make little... Uh, notes in my phone or try to think where can I apply this today so that I won't forget it. Uh, and then other more specific things like, you know, be kind, rewind, you know, they, they were useful for a while they were useful. And then after that, it's like, well, if there is a principle behind this, I'm going to have to really stretch it. <laughs> uh, but sp- for the specific rewinding of um, video cassettes, I think that lesson has come and gone. Well, yes and no. Because it's be kind, rewind, because it's being kind to the next person behind you. That's the stretch, though. It's not, yeah. it's, it's not about the specific technology that is video cassettes. It's about you know being considered. It's like changing the uh, uh, or, or emptying the lint trap. The, uh, where was I? Somewhere 
I heard, I think it was in a class. I think it was in my, um, one of my classes for my teaching credential. <laughs> Somebody was giving us the example of there are two kinds of people in the world. Um, the people who only empty the lint trap before they use the dryer and the people who also empty it after because they're thinking about the next person and whether or not the next person remembers to empty it, it's okay because the previous person took care of that for them already. Um, and for all they know, the next person may never find out that the lint trap was clear, but you know, the person who did it after their own load, they know, and it only takes a couple extra seconds, but the people who just assume that everything is going to be taken care of for them and don't bother to check when they are about to you know, do their own load, they could set the house on fire because they didn't check. And then they don't care who comes after them, so they don't check it afterwards either. They just are worried about their own particular uh, interests. And so that's where you know, Be Kind Rewind could have a principle that is uh, applied to both. But it's the specific... Like it's like someday maybe dryers won't exist anymore, and the principle will still be there. You know, think about the next person, but dryers won't be a thing. Wouldn't that be nice? Because mine still makes my clothes smell like wet dog. I don't understand it. Ready to move? If anyone has a place in Sonoma County for six fifty or less, I am ready to take it. Status quo. I love. Uh, I love changing things that look like they need to be shaken up. Uh, back in. Back in the day when I lived in um, M section uh, of Roanoke Park, and there was furniture in every room, there would be times when things were going kind of difficult, uh, or I just needed a change, and I would move everything around. I would take couches from like the front of the house and slide them all the way across the kitchen, across the living room, into like the den, just because I felt like I needed a visual change around me so that I can start making mental changes and emotional changes internally. Uh, There's also a value to keeping some traditions like the way quick, the country quick steppers and boots and buckles have their playlists. Um, They keep their old favorites around and it is nice to have something stable in changing times like hot tamales that you can always come back to and enjoy with your friends, river of dreams, uh, jambalaya, I guess they're really into. Um, and those are there to remind you that not everything changes. You still have your friends. You still have you know, a shared love within this community. Um, and it's the things that need to be changed, but people just haven't for some reason that is worth questioning. Like, why are we using these speakers? Could we get other... Well, these are the speakers we've always... Yeah, but but could, what if we got other speakers? How would that work? <laughs> or, uh, you know, finding a different venue when the place you're in has, like, tile floors or something, let's say, and people have issues with you know, their joints uh, making contact with that floor and they'd rather use wood. They say, well, well, but this is what we can afford and this is what we've been using, so this is what we're going to use. But what if we could get somewhere really cool like Swiss Park more often than we currently have it? And then they did! And it has wood floors. It's amazing. Uh, and it has you know, all the history to it. So thinking that at least there is a possibility of doing things differently or better 
can start making it kind of triggers the little spark in your brain to look for ways that the problem could be solved whereas if you just don't think that there is enough of a problem to go try solving it nothing's going to change and then you stay where you are day 60 to doubt everything or to believe everything are two equally convenient solutions both dispense with the necessity of reflection. Jules Henri Poincaré. Reflective thinking is another thinking skill you need to learn. It's been a major part of my life for decades. I'm constantly reflecting and reviewing my life so that I can keep growing and celebrating victories. At the end of every day, I ask myself three questions What did I learn today? What should I share? What must I do? Every Sunday night, I review the previous week, reflecting on the effectiveness of the weekend's activities and evaluating everything in order to prepare for the coming week. I also review my calendar every month and look at the 40 days ahead and at the end of each December, I reflect on the past year. As I go through these processes, my goal is to reflect on how I spent my time so that I might learn from my successes and mistakes, discover what I should try to repeat, and determine what I should change. It is always a valuable exercise. By mentally visiting past situations, you can think with greater understanding. Reflective thinking is like the crockpot of the mind. It encourages your thoughts to simmer until they're done. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 meaning you never look back to reflect, and 10 meaning you are highly intentional about being reflective, how do you rate yourself as a reflective thinker? Write down three examples of where you were reflective in your thinking and the positive results it netted. So, on a wide scale, I think you and I are exceptionally well at um, reflective thinking. Perfect example, all the reflection episodes we have of every single event we go to, <laughs> um, where we discuss like mostly the things that we liked about the event and, you know, our experiences. And I think that really helps us to not only like relive that those moments and really enjoy every last drop we could out of them. But I think it also allows us to grow and develop in the thoughts of like what we like as attendees that then we could then implement to hosting our own event. And so I think that's how one of the main reasons why I enjoy looking back at these events and reflecting on like the certain moments that happened. Um, the other thing is kind of in general, we're very, we're very good at being self-aware. Um, a lot of times we talk about like why we learn certain dances and what it is about that dance. And some of it's very much a personal, private, emotional response that the song brings out, or it's a... Uh, cool and new and interesting, unique move that you want to understand how it feels. Sometimes it's for other people on the floor. Sometimes it's to teach, you know, I mean, it really just varies. And I think 
both of us have a good understanding that line dance is very personal, but very much about everyone at the same time. Uh, and I know I try and I've, I've gathered from the many conversations that we've had that you try as well to be as inclusive to everyone as possible. You want everyone to enjoy the event or the dance or the experience or the moment. And I know for me personally, I have an understanding that I can add to an event or take away from an event, but I don't make the event, if that makes any sense whatsoever. It's uh, by me being there and being positive and fun and energetic, people can enjoy the event, but they can also enjoy the event without me as well. So I'm not like the sole factor of, you know, the event or the moment or whatever, but I certainly can contribute to making it better. Um, I will look at any lesson I give, any and every lesson I give, and I will reflect on um, how well it went, how many mistakes I made, how I handled said mistakes, um, how the crowd responded to the dance, to how I called things, to how I recovered from mistakes. And, you know, there's there's a lot of times I've come off and been like, well, that could have gone better, but it could have been a whole lot worse too. So, and from there, I then start looking at the, okay, this is where... I need to word this differently, or this is where I need to go over this less or over this more. Um, and I think that just helps increase my ability as an instructor. As a choreographer, I love getting feedback. I love seeing what other people seen and experiencing the dance on how they did it versus how I do it. I really enjoy that kind of opportunity to grow because you know you only have so many tools to work with and if someone hands you one more that's one more you get so that I think is really really important as well as I'm really looking forward to what kind of information I'm going to get on my new adventure with solo line dance competition because that really is feedback for me to look at on top of how I felt about something. So, um, and I'm going to get my, my opinion. I'm going to get my coach's cat painter's opinion, and then I'm going to get all the judges opinions. And that's up to me to really reflect on which areas I feel like I need to work on more than others. And I think it's really, really important to know that you're good but you could be better. You could also be a lot worse. So just keep in mind that where you're at is it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to not be perfect. It's okay not to be where you want to be yet. Um, and to really reflect and know what you can do better. Um, I do like the idea of what can I share as a new question. Um, I like I like that idea 
Um, and I might add that into my nightly reflections. I definitely used to do this more regularly back in the day. I used to journal every day. And then after journaling, I used to blog every day. And now I do neither of those every day. (laughs) Uh, I do like that we do our event reflections. And I guess I sort of informally make notes still in my phone about um, little projects that I think need to be done because nobody has done them and they would benefit the world by being done. And sometimes I do them too. Uh, I like the idea of letting thoughts simmer. I'm hoping that one thing that they will eventually get to is that um, unless they already covered it earlier in the book and these are just kind of out of order, uh, reflecting is good and thinking thinking about what you've learned is a is a good first step, but at some point you actually have to do something about it too. I think that's important. Like you can say, well, what I learned from this experience is that the next time I do this, I'm going to blah, but then if you never have a next time, then what was the point? I also think that making mistakes and reflecting on those mistakes is useful in helping you know when you're good enough that you should be probably pushing yourself again. Because if, let's say you do a lesson and you make a mistake and you recover from it and people think, oh, that was so funny how she did that or how he did that, you know, then you might think, oh, well, that's good. It shows that I'm human. So, you know, maybe maybe it would be all right to make that kind of mistake in the future. But even better, though, would be not to make the mistake at all. Uh, however, if you are in a situation where you're torn and you're like, well, I do like showing that, you know, things are difficult for me sometimes and and it's okay for things to be difficult for them, that means maybe it's time to challenge yourself to teach a more complex lesson. Like I tried to teach Kick and Rock uh, last week and it was tricky for them. Uh, but I, th- I still think it was the right thing to do to at least try because the the lessons we've been giving people at Twin Oaks, you know, as the specific example, have been generally pretty pretty manageable. Like they can get all of them, no problem. But I think that it is good for them just like with the idea that, you know, by making a mistake in your lesson, it shows them that it's okay. Um, everybody everybody has to stop and think for a moment about, you know, what's what's going to you know come next. It's good for them to not 100% feel like they have the dance because then if they tell their friends about what they learned and everything was super easy. I mean, that that's fine for getting people in the door because it's like, okay, well, I guess I'll try it because supposedly everything's super easy. But then if the people who like being challenged stop going because everything's too easy and what's the point? Like they could just teach themselves these things and show up later. You know, they they don't get to have that experience of I earned it. Like this was difficult and I didn't get it this week, but that other one that was hard for me for three weeks, I finally got that one. So maybe this one will be hard for me for three weeks and I'll get it eventually. So yeah, if you're, if you're not making enough mistakes, start thinking about where you can push yourself harder so that mistakes are almost inevitable. That way you have to 
tackle those and get better. You're not just resting on your laurels forever. Also, I wanted to make a quick note about the previous thing uh, regarding biographies and studying people that you admire. Uh, mine would definitely, at the moment, because of just everything I've been learning from her Vimeo channel, uh, is Rachel. And I was thinking how it would be really interesting to just study her, like the way that she comes up with movement patterns. And I've been watching a bunch of older dances from her for Masters in Line that include short patterns that I've never seen before or since. And I think, how did you, how did your body tell you that that was the best thing to do there? Because it feels really good to do it, but I never would have come up with it on my own. I would have done like a rock recover or something not even existent, just some like nothing movement to pass the time. And she just comes up with all these brilliant things. So I don't know if there's like a Rachel internship that I can sign up for, but I would very much be interested in taking that course because... I mean, just trying to like reverse engineer her dances to try to figure out where things came from is um, probably a lot more difficult than if I were just to ask her. <laughs> like, if you had to redo Cyclone right now, if you had to recreate uh, you know, poetry in motion, would you have come up with the same steps? Were they absolutely like the best steps for that song? And how did you know? Like, how many years did you have to be doing nightclubs before you knew that this was the nightclub sequence to do for this dance? Which also brings me to our first musical break. Because I think, uh, you know, it's been an hour. People probably need to stretch and get up and get a glass of water and listen to the rest of our talkings uh, following that. And I'm thinking I will play a song, uh, the dance for which I have learned within the past week. Um, and the, the song is Faded by Soul Decision. The dance is Faded by Rachel McEnany White. And uh, it's three minutes, 24 seconds. So we'll see you in about three and a half. Enjoy. Okie dokie. We are back on Move Radio with Line Dance Podcast with Christopher Gonzalez and Megan Barsulia. Continuing where we left off in Jumpstart Your Thinking by John C. Maxwell, we are on day 61 of 90 with this quote from Mr. George Washington. We ought not to look back unless it is to derive useful lessons from past errors and for the purpose of profiting by dearly bought experience. The pace of our society does not encourage reflective thinking. Most people would rather act than think. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm a person of action, but I'm also a reflective thinker because reflective thinking gives you true perspective on your experiences. You are able to evaluate their value and their timing, and you are able to gain a new appreciation for things that before went unnoticed. Reflective thinking gives emotional integrity to your thought life. It enables you to distance yourself from the intense emotions of past experiences 
and see them with fresh eyes. You can see the thrills of the past in the light of emotional maturity and examine tragedies in the light of truth and logic. That process can help you stop carrying around a bunch of negative emotional baggage. Reflective thinking turns your experience into insights. Experiences alone do not add value to a life. It's the insight people gain because of their experience. An experience becomes valuable when reflective thinking informs or equips us to meet new experiences. Write down one situation where you acted too quickly and could have enjoyed a better result if you used reflective thinking. What lessons can you glean from that experience? And this is sort of what I was mentioning earlier with having an experience be kind of useless if you write down all the reflections that you had on it and say, well, next time I'm going to do this, but you never have a next time. It's not the experience itself that unless you're, yeah, really, it's not the experience itself that um, gives you lasting value as much as what happens afterwards. Because let's say you have some amazing LSD trip, but you forget everything about it afterwards. And you had all these epiphanies and you you realize all these things now about the universe and the truth of how things are but then like waking up from a dream afterwards nothing sticks with you and all you remember afterwards is like oh yeah i think my stomach felt kind of funny and my pupils were a little dilated and then it all just kind of goes hazy like that might be fine in the moment like you had the experience you did and yeah it's all about being present and all that stuff but like afterwards if you can't apply it toward anything, then all it was was the present. Even if you say, well, at least I have I have an experience from going to Yosemite, but then I became paralyzed and I can never hike again, whatever. Uh, let's say you don't recreate that same exact experience, but you still have like the memories from afterward. I guess that's fine. That's value in a way. But Unless you take that memory and say, oh, yeah, it's like that time I went to Yosemite and then this happened. This makes it easily easier for me to understand what you're going through uh, because I went through this thing and now you're going through something similar. That memory can still be turned into an insight, even if you don't realize it at the time. What are thoughts from Megan? Um... It's it's hard to say, like, write down one situation where you acted too quickly. Um, because there are several things I've done throughout my life that I've certainly made that quick, haste decision of, I want it now, or... Um, I'm going to let my anger rule the reaction that I'm giving someone or, you know, something to that, something along those lines that really have just, you know, we've all looked back and had those moments where it's like, yeah, I probably didn't need to go out to dinner with all of my friends and spend 20 bucks when I had all of the stuff at home, you know, I I mean, there's stuff like that. We're still going to make those kind of choices. It's just, we're probably going to be more aware of it next time where it's like, okay, I remember feeling really bad about it last time. And that's 20 bucks. I really could have used towards gas to get me to my job. Uh, so 
I'll go out with my friends, but I won't spend 20 bucks. I mean, like, and then there's going to be the times where you spend 30 bucks instead. (laughs) You know, I mean, we're all going to have those moments where, you know, the impulse rules over us to just kind of act. Um, We've also had, I know you and I specifically have had a conversation just yesterday, I think, uh, via text message where we were talking about how it's been a while since we had gone to Stoney's. And I brought up the point where we said, well, yeah, both of us said we need some time in between our Stoney's trips more than what we've been giving them because what we've been getting out of them has not outweighed the time or the cost to get to Stoney's. And so when we've had more time in the past in between our visits, those visits were more nostalgic and had more life to them. And we got excited about dancing every dance possible, even, you know, Cupid Shuffle, which we don't normally dance unless we're teaching someone. Um, Like those nights stick out in our minds more as a fun, you know, enjoyable evening that was worth the four hour trip and the gas, you know, the tank of gas that it cost us to get there. And four hours being, uh, yeah, four hours being round trip. Um, otherwise it'd be Reno for anybody who's confused where we live. Uh, but then there's been those mediocre nights that have just kind of been like blah in between and we forget and then we go back and we go, oh, that's right. We had that conversation, didn't we? We did. We talked about how we weren't going to come back here every week or every month or what the case may be, unless there's some huge special event, obviously. <laughs> that's a little bit different circumstance. Yeah, I know for me, one of the hardest parts is the 3 a.m. Uh, pulling over at a Denny's or a rest stop because neither of us can physically do the drive anymore we have to just like close our eyes for a bit and then you know we end up sleeping till 6 a.m or something and you know it's cold and miserable and there's more traffic because people are heading into the city and we just end up regretting the whole thing yeah so i mean that's just a perfect example of like when we acted without really recalling our previous lessons um but i think it's really important um, I like the idea of how they worded the reflective thinking gives emotional integrity to your thought life. It enables you to distance yourself from intense emotions of past experiences and see them with fresh eyes. Um, I think that is really important uh, when we look back at things and tragedies and understand them for what they are more than just the world hates us and is out to get us. Um, What kind of lessons we can learn from these tragedies, from the loss of a loved one to the loss of a house and everything to uh, struggles in finances to maybe you didn't get that teaching slot that you wanted or your choreographed dance didn't make, you know, the nominees for Crystal Boots, or whatever the case may be, um, I think it's really important to just look at those as 
lessons that have something to give us, something that can impart some type of wisdom onto us to make us better and understand that we weren't where we were supposed to be to get what we wanted or maybe we were exactly where we were supposed to be and it's just we have to be more patient and learn more lessons or you know like I had said earlier how the universe has a way of freeing you from one thing so you can take on another thing Um, I think it's really important to realize that tragedy and negativity and loss and that kind of stuff are all a part of life and it's what helps to remind us of the good things and to appreciate the good things that we do have going for us and to know that we have a chance and we always have a chance to make things better. Day 62. We should be careful to get out of an experience all the wisdom that is in it. Not like the cat that sits down on a hot stove lid. She will never sit down on a hot stove lid again. And that is well, but also she will never sit down on a cold one anymore. Mark Twain. Here are two more valuable reasons to become a reflective thinker. Reflective thinking increases your confidence in decision-making. It helps to diffuse the doubts that surround snap judgments, and it also gives you confidence for the next decision. Once you've reflected on an issue, you don't have to repeat every step of the thinking process when you're faced with it again. Reflective thinking clarifies the big picture. It encourages us to go back and spend time pondering what we have done and seen and helps put ideas and experiences into a more accurate context. If a person who loses his job reflects on what happened, he may see a pattern of events that led to his dismissal and what things were his responsibility. He may realize that in the larger scheme of things, he's better off in his new position because it better fits his skills and desires. Without reflection, it can be very difficult to see that big picture. Think about a current situation that you have not yet reflected on. Give it some thinking time to lead to better results. Write out the observations you you discover while reflecting. I know I've definitely thought about this with relationships as far as like what they're saying with the losing your job and then looking at, you know, what your part of it was. I think Joe does a really good job of this with seeing where could she have done something differently so that the dog would not have eaten the burrito, you know. Um, it's not all on the other person. It's not all somebody else's fault. It's partly you for being part of the situation. It's like how I've said with litter, when you're walking by something, you look down, you see it, you recognize this is litter. There is a garbage can, but I'm not going to pick it up because I have made the active decision that it is better for the world for that thing to stay right there than it is for me to be inconvenienced for the next five seconds. So you're part of it then. You know, when you see that and you recognize that, you you see that your responsibility um, isn't isn't nullified just because you pretend that it's not there anymore. You know, seeing the bigger picture also makes you think, well, if I make this choice, even with no one around to see it, am I being consistent with the kind of person that I want to be? Or with the kind of vision that I have for how I would like the world to be. Because how can I expect other people to make these kinds of choices when I'm not even willing to do it myself? How upset or disappointed can I really be that somebody else isn't picking up litter when I 
can clearly understand why somebody wouldn't because I don't want to do it right now. If you start doing those things and you take personal responsibility for your own life, then you can have and feel justified in having the big picture view of idealism and optimism uh, since you are on the ground trying to live it yourself. I know that you do a lot of things that really live that yourself. Like, you know, you wish that people were more positive on Facebook. It wouldn't be nice to like scroll through your feed and not see a bunch of people complaining about this or that thing or just spreading a bunch of vague negative stuff about their their lives for everyone to read about. And you don't do those negative things. You actively put out positive things for people to discuss and think about. So that's your responsibility. It's not just, oh, I wish somebody else would blah. It's, no, you know what? I can blah. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to, this is going to be my small thing for the day. And it's better than nothing. And then, you know, you end up having like 75 or however many comments on it. I think last time it was 135. But um, (laughs) I appreciate that. Thank you for the acknowledgement. Um, it is something I actively think about and try and focus on what I can do better, what I can put out positively and how I can help somebody as well as myself out of whatever mindset they might currently be in into a more fun, lively one that they can enjoy. Um, even if it's just for a few moments, you know, like you said, it's better than nothing. Um, I do know that there was, I think it was last Thursday, even there was, it seemed like everybody was in a rush to get somewhere. And like, everybody was like trying to cut in front of us and like, you know, just like go around us and just like really, really impatient. And I remember thinking, and I even said it out loud too, is like, okay, that's my thing for today. I'm going to be more patient with people. Since everybody seems to be in a rush, I'm going to work on being more patient. Um, it's one of those things that I try and, and think about. If everybody's being negative, I'm going to try and be the one who's positive. It's since I don't like what that's doing, I'm going to make sure I am not contributing to that. I'm going to counteract that. Um, and so I think that's that's important. Um As for a situation I've not reflected on yet, I'm sure there's many. I'm sure there is many that I have totally just stuck my head in the sand in hopes that they just go away. Um, However, at the moment, I can't think of anything. Um, Oh, here we go. I can probably honestly say that I have not truly reflected on my preparation for this upcoming competition. I've kind of dabbled in it a little bit knowing that, okay, I probably should have been working on this sooner and I probably should have done this and I probably should have done that. Um, in getting to where I am and now tomorrow will be what it will be because of that. Um, but at the same time, um, I'm not placing the blame on anybody other than myself. I know that I could have been working on things sooner. I know I could have been going over things 
more in depth and longer and trying to really, really push myself. Um, but I'm also at a point right now where I just kind of want to experience the first competition and then go from there to know really how much more work I need to put into it, which I know right now is going to be a lot more work because I'm going to be hooked. I just know it. Um, but also I want to just kind of have the moment of, oh my gosh, I just competed as opposed to I worked my tail off to be one person competing or maybe one of two people competing. Cause it isn't going to be, a, it's going to be a relatively small event from what I'm told. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm in first place, but I'm also the only one who competed kind of thing, you know, whereas right now I'm kind of just enjoying the learning process and figuring out where my strengths are and where my weaknesses are and what I really need to make sure I focus on and what I really need to make sure I maintain um, as well as just enjoying the whole overall experience of it and then I get to reflect on that and go from there to know okay well this is the work I've put up to it this far and this is the result I got out of it so clearly this is the next steps I need to take <coughs> I like the thing that they say about the um, the cat not sitting down on a cold stove lid in addition to the hot one because it kind of tells you don't throw baby out with the bathwater. Like just because you have a bad experience or an unpleasant experience with an event or with a, a night out at the dance bars or whatever doesn't mean, well, you should just never dance again or never go to that side of the country for dancing or um, never learn from this choreographer or anything like that. You just really surgically try to find out where the problem came from and resolve that part of the problem as opposed to saying, well, that cashier was mean to me. Better need never leave the house again because humans are awful. Uh, also, uh, there was something you said that reminded me of kind of like how Rachel sprinkles in little bits of technique in her tutorials. Here's some philosophy for your day. Uh, the categorical imperative is the central philosophical concept in the deontological moral philosophy of Immanuel Kant, or Kant. Introduced in Kant's 1785 groundwork of the metaphysics of morals, it may be defined as a way of evaluating motivations for action. And then I'm going to jump down a little bit. And possibly speak in English? I'm getting there. Okay. Uh, hypothetical imperatives apply to someone who wishes to attain certain ends. For example, if I wish to quench my, my thirst, I must drink something. If I wish to pass this exam, I must study. A categorical imperative, on the other hand, denotes an absolute, unconditional requirement that must be obeyed in all circumstances and is justified as an end in itself. It is best known in its first formulation. Act only according to that maxim whereby you can, at the same time, will that it should become a universal law. So the idea is... Um, like, you know, looking very big picture, as they're saying here, reflective thinking clarifies the big picture. If you're able to say, well, it's okay when I do this thing because it's just me. So, 
you know, I can not prepare for this thing or I can not pick up that litter. Are you able to say it is best? It is the best choice universally when a person sees litter to never pick it up. Or when people are going to perform for others at Vegas Dance Explosion, it is best to not practice and just kind of wing it. <laughs> and all instructors on staff should do that. Like if, if you can't say that, if you can't seriously say that that is how all people should be all the time, then it's probably not okay if you make an exception for yourself. And that, that can help you look at the big picture and uh, see where your small action fits into it. Also, side note that isn't related at all, uh, I do announcing at uh, horse shows, miniature horse shows for NorCal Miniature Horse Club. And it is fun for me when a person, and this happened uh, doubly so at this last show, when a person runs uncontested, because uh, against you know no one because then i get to really enthusiastically announce them as the winner i feel bad if there's like a first second and third and they were unanimously scored you know third second and first and then by the time i get to first like i don't want to make the second and third feel bad so i just kind of you know am equal with all of them <laughs> however at this last show not only did the person in this particular class um do their their class against no one after that what they do usually is let's say you are um you're running stallions against each other or something so then you'll have like amateur stallions and stallions of like a certain age and whatever like i don't know they're different categories afterwards they get into the grand and reserve champion so that's out of all of those classes then the overall like stallion will will be decided from those different categories well for this one for whatever reason there was only one qualifier to enter the grand and reserve championships so there was um only one person and they just ran them both together they ran the grand reserve championship uh at the same time as they did the qualifier to get into it because it was only one person anyway but they still had me read them separately. So for the previous class, I had to say, okay, so you know, unanimously in first place for this particular class, um, such and such horse and owned by so and so. And now, well, I would have to have something to read. I don't have any of the class sheets in front of me. If I did, I would. Uh, but then after that, I was able to say, like immediately after that, your grand champion under all four judges is. And uh, yeah, that made me really happy. So sometimes it's okay when the person runs unopposed in a competition because it's, it's more fun for the announcer. Good to know. Mental note taken. Yeah. Day 63. <coughs> the unexamined life is not worth living. Socrates. Here's more philosophy for you. If you are like most people in our culture today, you probably do very little reflective thinking. Ouch. <laughs> judging much if that's the case it may be holding you back more than you think take to heart the following suggestions to increase your ability to think reflectively set aside time for reflection <coughs> for most people reflection and self-examination does not come naturally it can be a fairly uncomfortable activity for a variety of reasons you may have a hard time staying focused you may find the process dull or you may not like spending a lot of time thinking about emotionally <laughs> difficult issues. 
but if you don't carve out the time for it, you are unlikely to do any reflective thinking. Remove yourself from distractions. As much as any other kind of thinking, reflection requires solitude. Distraction and reflection simply don't mix. One of the reasons I've been able to accomplish much and keep growing personally is that I've not only set aside time to reflect, but I've separated myself from distractions for short blocks of time. The place doesn't matter as long as you remove yourself from distractions and interruptions. Create a daily reflection time to help you learn from the events of your day and to capture your ideas. Put it in your calendar and practice the discipline of daily reflective thinking for the next 21 days. I think it is really, really important to set aside time to reflect and just think and be by yourself and no distractions, no YouTube, no Reddit, no Netflix, no... 21 days is like a year in internet time. Just saying it's hard. Yeah, but if you give yourself 10, 20 minutes, I mean, they're not saying give yourself the whole day. They're saying set aside time. Yeah. So quick note, I used to, I mean, for a period of time, uh, actually not that long ago, I had these really nice mornings of waking up at 630 and not turning on any screens for at least like an hour, hour and a half, making breakfast, doing a little yoga. Uh, maybe reading uh, because so many things say that you should do that and then I think we probably went to some event because that always disrupts these things and coming back it didn't resume and my life didn't really change for the worse that you know it wasn't happening regularly anymore so I never really seriously picked it back up and I've done daily reflection like end of the day stuff and it is good to to do it while you're doing it but I've also noticed that when you don't do it, it's easy to not notice that you're not doing it. And if you're the kind of person that it doesn't affect you that much, then, you know, try. But if it doesn't work out, then meh. You do a lot of reflection during the day, though. Oh, that's true. Um, however, like many people, myself included, you're really good at giving yourself slack, too. And logically deducing why it's not necessarily your fault. <laughs> You'll take some responsibility. Like if I get cut off in traffic, I'm like, well, yes, I was going 55 in like a 60-ish zone. It's... So maybe that's why I got cut off. Well, there's that as opposed, to, you know, that's just one example. The, But like I said, we're all guilty of it. We all very easily, you know will put the blame on somebody else, per se. Not necessarily in like a, oh, it's their fault they cut me off. But we won't necessarily say it's our fault they cut me off either. So it's kind of one of those, we'll give ourselves that excuse. Oh, there's a, a saying, everybody, um, everyone who drives slower than you is a moron and everyone who drives faster than you is a maniac something like that it's not something that i hold personally but it's the idea when you're in traffic that everybody else is wrong for some reason the slow people are making you late and the fast people are driving recklessly but you're perfect always yeah something like that talk to the cops who've pulled us over um anyways <laughs> side note <laughs> that was for a license plate that wasn't reflective enough 
In both cases. <laughs> or those stops that weren't necessarily three-second stops. They're more California stops or California rolls in our case. Um, but that's, that's beside the point. Totally beside the point. No. Um, I think it is really, really important to be reflective. And I think it's really, really important to accept process and deal and move on from what is your responsibility to any one said situation with that said it is also very important that you don't take the blame unnecessarily as well if your relationship for instance fails it takes two people in a bad relationship. You accept your portion of the actions, you accept their portions of the actions, and know you could have done better, they could have done better, whatever the case may be. As Homer once said to Marge, it takes two to lie, Marge. One to lie and one to listen. That's really scary. Really, <laughs> uh, really close to the truth and hit home a little bit on this case, but that's all right. Um, but yes, there, I mean, there's a lot of things that looking back affords you the reflectiveness, but you have to be careful not to take all the blame. Um, I know perfect example. I was listening to a bunch of different audiobooks over the last month and a half, two months now, and there about bettering yourself and bettering relationships with people around you and bettering relationships with money and just growing into the person that you want to become and how to let go of certain things and just all kinds of different topics. And there was a lot of things that came up in a lot of these different books that made me realize certain actions that I didn't realize that I took that how I talked to certain people or the way I worded certain things might not be actually expressing what I'm actually feeling and what I truly want to express. Um, perfect example. I like how you handled that situation is a good expression. I'm saying I like how you handled that. However, saying I respect how you made those choices in that last situation, it speaks deeper volumes than just, I like how you handled that. Um, and so really learning that there's certain ways to phrase things that, although I think is getting my point across, it might not actually be getting my point across to the, cor to the correct degree. Um, and so if I'm able to look back on certain things and reflect and learn that, you know, when I took this action, it taught this person this thing, you know, that's my, that's my responsibility. However, you know, them not doing something is their responsibility, however that might come across. Um, when it comes to line dancing 
um, it's important to know that there's going to be dances out there that you're going to struggle with. There's going to be dances out there that are so easy to you, they seem unimportant. There's going to be dances out there that challenge you just enough. And it's important to know that it's all a matter of a journey. It's all the progress you've made and that you will continue to make progress even if maybe you can't quite accomplish this one dance just yet. It might take more practice than this other dance. Um, Same thing with teaching, same thing with choreography. It's all a matter of learning. I know that, and I can speak for both of us in this one, the first dance we choreographed, there's a lot of stuff looking back that we could have changed. And then we choreographed another one. And then we choreographed another one. And this is together and separate. Um, And we've learned from looking back at those dances and going, oh, yeah, that was a little um, reckless on my part. Or in my case, a little boring on my part. (laughs) Um, That was a lot of... uh, transition steps together where I could have probably hit the music differently here. I could have syncopated this part. I could have, you know, made this a little bit more unique or something along those lines. Um, And being able to look back at those dances, still appreciate them for what they were at the time that they came out, at the time we created them, whether we released them or not, my case not, um it's good to know that we've improved. And I know for me specifically, part of that is because I've looked back and been able to be like, yeah, I would change this, this, and that in that dance. Um, And that just shows me that I have gained more knowledge and more, um, and I've developed more and I've grown more. And because I'm able to reflect on that, I'm able to also have that confidence to know that I am moving forward in the direction I want to, even though I'm not where I want to be right now, which is, you know, perfect. You say that in your case, you haven't released them. I think I messaged you recently that I have eight dances on Copperdom, including the ones we've done together and 12 on my Spotify that I have finished and not released. So that's fun. Um, Also, you reminded me of um, how I've heard that you shouldn't use the word very because it doesn't express what you're trying to say very well. Hey, very well. That's funny. Um, And there's a quote here from Florence King. Very is the most useless word in the English language and can always come out more than useless. It is treacherous because it invariably weakens what is what it is intended to strengthen. For example, would you rather hear the mincing shallowness of I love you very much or the heart slamming intensity of I love you? So like you were saying about, I respect your choices versus, you know, I like the thing, then you, know, you you can be more precise and have more impact with the words that you use. And if there's time at the end, there's this article that I like here, five weak words you should avoid and what to use instead. We can make time. Definitely. So we, I was thinking we could do two more of these and that way we would have a little bit of time 
for some vocabulary. Okay, so day 64. Successful people ask better questions, and as a result, they get better answers. Tony Robbins. The value you receive from reflecting will depend on whether you ask the right questions. The better the questions, the more gold you will mine from your thinking. When I reflect, I think in terms of my values, relationships, and experiences. Here are some sample questions from each area. Personal growth. What have I learned today that will help me grow? How can I apply it to my life? When should I apply it? Inner circle. Have I spent enough time with my key players? What can I do to help them be more successful? In what areas can I mentor them? Successes. What went right? Did I create it? Is there a principle I can learn from the experience? How you organize your reflection time is up to you. The main thing is to write is to create questions that work for you and write down any significant thoughts that come to you during the reflection time. Create your own set of questions to ask yourself during your reflective thinking times. Begin by creating general questions to be used after any event or meeting. Then create more specific questions related to your values and relationships. These also make good interview questions. I think it's probably good that we've done as many interviews as we have because I would be very interested in asking certain people, what have you learned at this event that will help you grow? How can you apply it to your life? When should you apply it? Uh, For event managers, you could say, have you spent enough time with your key staff people? What can you do to help them be more successful? In what areas can you mentor them? Success. What went right? Did you create it? Is there a principle you can learn from the experience? I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think we really should put those into interview questions. Any thoughts about developing the right questions and reflecting based on them? Um, it's a little bit tricky because it's, it's going to vary depending on the circumstance, I think. Um, yes, you could have, like he was saying, like the general, like, what did I learn from this? You know? That's going to be a general thing as opposed to um, maybe something more specific of a, a, in this circumstances, this is how I reacted. What three things could I have done differently? That's going to be more specific, narrowing down on the thoughts. Um, I always like to list an idea of what's what's three things I can work on and what three things did I do well and it's it's hard to come up with each of them because the three things that you can work on for me there's it's one of two things is going to happen. Either A, I'm going to have a lot of things I feel like I need to work on and to pick only three, I have to figure out like what's the big three. Or B, I'm going to give myself so much slack that I'm like, well, I really didn't screw up today, <laughs> you know, kind of situation. Um, and so I have to think, really, really think about like where I could improve. And so sometimes that's a little bit challenging. Um, the three good things for me is one of those where sometimes it's really hard to come up with the three good things because I felt like it was just one of those days where all I did was chase my tail. And so I feel like there's so many things I could have done better. Um, And so to give myself three really solid good things can be challenging. And then there's other days where it's like all I want to do is pat myself on the back. So to pick only three again is, you know, 
it's it's interesting. Um, from there, I tend to narrow down questions that are relevant to those specific things. Um, I do like the idea of big picture thinking and general questions to kind of get you there. And then I also like the idea of narrowing it down so that you have a step to take to get closer to that big picture. Um, I have a rule when I write in my journal and it can be really hard to follow sometimes because sometimes being brutally honest sucks. And sometimes being brutally honest on paper is scary. But my number one rule is I follow a thought to the very end and I don't sugarcoat. I don't lie. I don't change the words. If my thought was, I can't believe how badly I screwed up and didn't tell so-and-so XYZ, whatever that XYZ is, um, I can't. I can't sugarcoat that and say, well, yeah, I really should have told so-and-so, you know, nicer things. You know, it's like, it's one of those situations where I'm very brutally honest or the idea that when I'm praising myself, I have to say all of the words, no matter how shallow I might feel in writing down that I felt like I looked amazing that day or that I can't believe how stunning my eye makeup came out or something like that, where I feel like it's very shallow to say, I still need to write it down. It's a rule that I have when I open my journal and write it, which is why it's really important for me to write in my journal. I have not been doing so lately, so that's very bad on my part, um, because it forces forces me to be honest and open with myself because I think that is that's the biggest challenge that people have with reflecting is they'll sugarcoat things or they'll diminish things so that it's not as good of a situation or it's not as bad of a situation and I think the honesty with yourself is where you really learn to grow um I know one of the hardest questions I had to ask myself when it came to line dancing is why I wanted to be an instructor because there were so many reasons floating around in my head and I had to write all of them down no matter how superficial or how deep they ended up being. I had to write all of them down and then when I went back, I reread it and I clarified with myself, okay, that was just a thought. That was a feeling. And that was where I came up with my answer of that there is an overwhelming joy when I get up on that stage and it is 100% selfish in its selflessness because I get so much from teaching others. And that is so selfish of me. 
but I love the fact that I get to share dance with people. I love when they get to experience a dance and a movement and it just expresses something within them that they didn't otherwise know how to express or it got them the courage to get out on the dance floor and meet new friends or try something different and they've discovered something about themselves and Although it's hard for them, they're learning to push through that challenge so that they can grasp these dances and to see them get the dance and get the movement and that just pure joy on their face. Totally selfish for me because I love being a part of that. Um, And I wouldn't want to trade that. I really wouldn't. And I had to go through a lot of self-exploration to figure out what that answer was. And I think it's important that when you're writing down or thinking about or reflecting on something that you let yourself follow the thought no matter how scary it might be to hear it or see it in my case. It's also cheaper than therapy. And I think we could always use a little therapy. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah, there were there were times when I would do my various writings when I would come up with some thought of like maybe this is how things are, maybe this is why things are, and I would kind of just write it as a proposition of maybe that's how it is. But then I thought, no, if I just end up with a list of these, it's not very useful. The the thought stops there. And it's really only my experience that has led me to come to that conclusion. So how can I reword this conclusion into a question so that another person could try to answer it? And if they answer it, maybe they'll come up with a different answer. So then we end up with a whole bunch of conclusions all based around the same idea. Like if I were to say, uh, gosh, I wonder what we, one of them would even be. Let me see if I can pull one up here because I have some of my thoughts written uh, let's see. Selection shows you have options. Liminoid. What does that even mean? Liminality? Holy cow. Uh, let's see. The location. You... Oh. Interesting. Okay. Uh, so uh, for whatever reason. Okay. I, I remember we've talked about how with uh, when you. In pickup culture, when you are doing pickup on a person or whatever, and like you're going to a bar and you're trying to get them home with you or whatever, um, there's this idea that location changing makes them feel more familiar with you. So you start out in one place like the bar and then you take them to like an ice cream place that's across the street and then you take them to uh, you know a park for like five minutes and then then you take them back to your house. Now they feel like, well, I've known them for so long. We went to this place and that place and that place. And all told, it's been about 45 minutes. So um, I have something written here that says, the location change effect used in pickup is what makes you feel familiar with a person like wall changes invest you in a dance. And for an example of that, take something like Poetry in Motion, where it's 32 counts. So many dances are 32 counts. Pieces, 32 counts. But you feel like you've done so much in those 32 counts. You've been taken all around the room on this journey from wall to wall to wall. 
so that by the time you get to the next wall, it's like you're starting the whole experience over and it's not part of like the same dance. Like that one wall is different from all the others because you saw four walls over the course of it. I think can't walk away might have some of that same effect. Um, so then the conclusion would be that, um, you know, by having, uh, more wall changes, you feel more invested, like it's more of an immersive journey and experience. That would be the conclusion. But if I just write that, that's very specific. If I were to change that into a question, like what aspects of a dance make you feel more invested, um, or make you feel more immersed or make you think that it's a more complex dance than it really is when it's just the same number of counts and, you know, could be made simpler by substituting things out. Um, you know, what, what things make it seem more than it is? Cause there are other dances that are 32 counts and, you know, might have similar steps as others, but if you restructure it in a way that you don't hit all of the walls, um, in a, an unpredictable alternation, but you just do one and then a quarter turn and then a quarter turn and then a quarter turn and then you're at the next one, it would feel different. So by by stating it as a question, you get all these other different answers other than just, well, location change is a big par important part of it because now location change is one of 20 different answers you're going to get. If I had just left it at my conclusion, location changes do this thing, then that's where it would stop. And you would be bereft of all those other insights that you could have had if it were made into a question for later reflection. I like it. Yeah. Day 65. Follow effective action with quiet reflection. From the quiet reflection will come even more effective action. Peter Drucker. Regularly reviewing your calendar or journal is another reflective thinking tool. Calendars and journals remind you of how you've spent your time, show you whether your activities match your priorities, and help you see whether you are making progress. They also offer you an opportunity to recall activities that you might not have had the time to reflect on previously. Some of the most valuable thoughts you've ever had may have been lost because you didn't give yourself the reflection time you needed. Writing down the good thoughts that come out of your reflective thinking has value, but nothing helps you to grow like putting your thoughts into action. To do that, you must be intentional. Record and review all the takeaways you get while reading a book, listening to a podcast, or attending a conference or seminar. Putting your thoughts into action can change your life. Ultimately, reflective thinking has three main values. It gives me perspective within context. It allows me to continually connect with my journey, and it provides counsel and direction concerning my future. Few things in life can help me learn and improve the way reflective thinking can. Set aside a block of time to review your appointments and to-do lists from the past month. Write down where you spent your time and whether you did so wisely. As you reflect, record lessons learned, insights to be filed, and action points to be completed. I actually do this a lot um, because I'm always amazed after each month that I survived the month prior um, with my crazy schedule. But I like to look back on the month prior and be like, okay, what did I do? What, what, what was so busy in the month of April? Um, or in this case, pretty soon here is going to be the month of May. Um well, I said, in, oh, I I'll be re reflecting on yeah. May um, to know, like, 
what I did and like where I was and all those fun events. And because one, I like the nostalgic feeling. I like looking back and feeling happy about like going to Stagecoach, for example, um, and all of the friends that I've made at Stagecoach and the memories that were there. And I like looking back and being like, okay, I really like that we could we stuck off that first night and went and saw a movie. However, looking back, probably not the best decision given the traffic situation of going back and picking up Cheyenne and Darren. So that, that gave me a chance to reflect and it gave me a chance to look back and really understand that there's decisions that I've made that were fun and good, but also had other things to them. Or um, looking back and seeing how many pictures I took, which was a whole whopping zero. <laughs> I guess I can't say that because I took a couple pictures at the Garth Brooks concert, but like on my phone specifically that I physically took. Um, I was in pictures, obviously, but... I was not, uh, I didn't take a bunch. And that makes me think, okay, next time I go to an event, I really want to take more pictures. I want evidence for me to look back and go like, oh yeah, I remember that night. I remember what happened right then. I remember trying to get so-and-so to look straight or, you know, whatever the memory might be. Um, And I like... I really like the idea of taking what I've learned and making the choice to change something. Um, I have definitely looked back at certain events and been like, I wish I would have done this more. And the very next event, I did it more. Um, Because I wanted to take what I had learned about myself and what I gained knowledge from and actually put it into practice and see what kind of response I got from it. And generally speaking, I've been pretty I've been pretty pleased with whatever responses I've gotten out of the actions I've taken from learning from my reflections. What about you? Mm. I kind of have rapid turnover, I think, between uh, reflection and action. I don't tend to repeat a lot of things in the same way because my life is weird. And sometimes if I am having an experience, I'll reflect on it and make changes before the experience has ended. And then if that kind of thing never comes up again, I won't go out of my way to make it happen again just so I can make the change happen. I'll just kind of let it go. I'll let a lot of things go. Yeah. Speaking of letting things go, like your phone onto the floor yeah. from your hand. Uh, it is 3.04. We are slightly over time. But I'm not letting this article go because I really want to read it. <clears throat> Five weak words you should avoid and what's used instead. Turbo speed. When I first began writing, I was unsure of myself. My sentences were filled with meaning, meaningless words and fillers. What I didn't realize is that by using them, I was sabotaging myself and my writing. Weak words can sneak into our writing anywhere, anytime, and when they do, they can destroy the power of our work. 
I've rounded up five weak words to avoid and some helpful tips for what you can use instead. 1. Really. Example, the swimmer really performed admirably. Why it's a problem. The word really is a crutch. It is used to convey emphasis, but it fails spectacularly in this. Really doesn't tell us anything important and is inadequate as a description. It's an example of writing the way we speak, but it just doesn't translate on paper or screen. There's also the issue of considering what the word real means. Real is a fact. It is not imagined or supposed. It is genuine. When you take this into consideration, you'll find that using really as an intensifier often conveys more emotion than we intended. If you are going to use this word, make sure to do so sparingly as to not lessen its impact. Thankfully, this problem is easily remedied. The swimmer really performed admirably can be changed into the swimmer performed admirably. Nothing is lost by cutting really from the sentence, but simplicity and function is gained. As Mark Twain said, use the right word, not its second cousin. 2. Things slash stuff. Example, the article said a lot of things and stuff. Why it's a problem. While the writer may have a perfectly clear understanding of what things and stuff they are referring to, the reader does not. What things and stuff? Where things and stuff? How things and stuff? Which things and stuff? See where I'm going with this? There is too much left unsaid. The author Kurt Vonnegut often gave this piece of advice. Pity the reader. He didn't mean this in a disparaging way. What he meant was that we shouldn't make the reader do more work than necessary. When the words things or stuff are used, an additional burden is placed on the reader to figure out what the writer is talking about. These words are simply too vague. The writer uses them to save time, but it ends up hurting both the writer and the reader in the long run. Let's fix the example from above. The article said a lot of things and stuff. Instead, we can spell out what the article says. The article discussed the principles of interactive design. I've clearly picked an extreme example to illustrate this one point. Specificity rules. 3. I believe slash I feel slash I think. Example. I believe the author has a great point here. I had this professor in college who wasn't afraid of telling you just how crappy your writing was. One day he pulled me aside and said, Andrea, you don't need to say I believe. We already know it's what you believe. You're the one writing it. <laughs> Why it's a problem. I believe, I feel, and I think do not inspire confidence in the reader. They do the exact opposite. Their use causes the reader to question the author's authenticity and honesty. These words make the writer sound unsure of themselves and the topic discussed. It also forces the writer to overuse pronouns, and that's bad news. Here's why. Computer programmer James Pennebaker analyzed over 400,000 texts in his mission to see what our word choice reveals about us. When Pennebaker analyzed military transcripts, his team could tell individuals' relative ranks based entirely on patterns of speech. What does this tell us? Our choice and use of pronouns reveals how we view ourselves and how we view our relationships with others. In short, it reveals our personality to the reader. This is fine in cases of autobiography, but most of the time it only serves to weaken your work. The use of words like I think or I believe changes the focus of the sentence. Instead of the focus being on the subject, it is on the author. It's like a big blinking neon light saying, Hi, this is me, the author, talking. Look at me sitting here talking about my opinions. Isn't this great? It's not great. You take the reader out of the piece completely, which is generally something a writer wishes to avoid, especially if you are trying to persuade the reader. Case in point, I believe the researcher has a great point here. Instead, try, the researcher has a great point here. This causes the power dynamics to shift. The sentence goes from sounding wishy-washy to sounding confident. It also places the focus back where it belongs. Bonus points to everyone. 
for, was, slash is, slash are, slash am. These are forms of to be. What we are talking about here is the difference between active and passive voice. Active voice. Sally mailed the letter. Here the subject Sally is performing the action. It is clear what action has transpired. Passive voice. The letter was mailed by Sally. In this sentence, the subject has changed, letter, and is the thing being acted upon. The sentence structure is unnecessarily complex. Why it's a problem. Passive voice is most often used in scientific writing, and that's usually where it belongs. It tends to be less engaging and requires the reader to use writer to use more words per sentence. Passive voice forces the reader to do more work to get to the same conclusion. Active voice allows for short, punctuated sentences that get to the point. Generic disclaimer. Passive voice does have its place, and not every form of to be represents passive voice. 5. Very. Here's a quote from Mark Twain. Substitute damn every time you're inclined to write very. Your editor will delete it, and the writing will be just as it should be. Mark Twain. My sentiments exactly. Example. Scientists are very interested in finding out more about the duck-billed platypus. Why it's a problem. The word very does not communicate enough information. It's been called one of the most useless words in the English language. It's one of those penny words that writers throw in to magnify another word. The only problem is it doesn't do that. How does one avoid using the word very? Start off with a more descriptive adjective from the get-go. Instead of saying very good, say wonderful. Remember, your reader's time is precious. It pays to be as concise as possible. Another solution is to cut the word very out of the sentence completely. Again, nothing is lost by doing this. Scientists are interested in finding out more about the duck-billed platypus. There is a seemingly infinite supply of wonderful words available to writers, and let's be honest, the word very isn't one of them. In summary, five weak words. The words, really, things, I believe, was, is, are, am, very. The reasons, vague, not specific, not confident, passive voice, unnecessary. The options, delete, define, remove, use active voice, replace. The act of writing, from emails to articles and everything in between, involves taking the reader on a journey. Each word should move the reader closer to the conclusion of that journey. If it doesn't, get rid of it. I promise your writing will be better off for it. This article is from QuartzQZ.com, and the author is Andrea Ayers, A-Y-R-E-S, written in 2016. The time is now 3.11. And just to tie it into line dance, there are places where you can see movements that are not necessary to the enjoyability of a dance. And while transitional and, um, I guess for lack of a better term, filler movements do allow certain benefits like breathing and thinking at the end of a section or processing that a wall change is about to happen or just happened. If you are facing the same wall, let's say you're going forward, you're going back, and then you're going forward again, and nothing really has changed, you wonder, you start to wonder as the dancer, well, why did, why did I do that? Why did I move forward and backward for nothing? And why am I going forward again? And it feels like you were just filling time, like those movements were meaningless. So perhaps think about places that you can hack mercilessly at your own choreography until only um, the best and most effective, most fun or most emotionally triggering uh, movements are left to match with the song. Thoughts? Nope. 
All right. Well, this has been Line Dance Podcast on Move Radio with Christopher Gonzalez and Megan Barcelia. We thank you for joining us yet another week here in sunny West Internet. And until next time, we will see See you on on the the dance dance floor. floor.